You're not going to be double-minded and unstable in your ways. You're not going to be a friend of the world and try and be a friend of God. You're making a decision that I'm wholeheartedly giving my life to God and I'm going to pursue Him and I'm going to seek Him to discover and know what it is that He has for me. This week, I've been thinking a lot. You know, we've just come out of a surrender series talking about surrendering your life to God and what that looks like and you know, like, what are we going to talk about this month? We're, getting, we're gearing up for the holidays. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving. We're getting ready for Christmas. And this week, I've really just been clarifying my call. What has God called me to do? Why do I do what I do? And I want to make sure that I'm on target, that I'm not distracted, that I, I'm, I'm on course to fulfill the mission. Can you say amen? And there's this thing called mission drift. It's real easy to get sidetracked with all kinds of stuff and lose focus on the mission that you're on, right? You know, you're in the African jungle, and you're on a mission, you know, to get to the other side, find the gold in the middle of the temple, and then Python shows up, you know, eats your dog, and then you're like off mission, because now you're wrestling a python. I know, it's a great story. You know, and there's all these things that happen on the journey to reaching your goal that just take you off track. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, we're going to pray, we're believing God that we're going to be debt free. Only to discover that in the measure that you're trying to get debt free, you have the same resistance coming against you. Oh, I'm on a mission. We're going to, you know, serve the Lord. We're going to make it to church every Sunday, only to discover three months later you haven't been. And so you make these plans to move forward and press forward, and then you get hit with stuff. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the thing is, you have to clarify why you're doing what you're doing, so that when the pressure comes, when the test comes, when the problem shows up to resist you, that you don't back down that you stand firm and you keep pressing forward. And we read Paul and Silas this morning. These guys had a mission. They're on their mission to go and tell, preach the gospel. Jesus sent them, go preach the gospel. They're in the city getting people set free from demonic forces and then finding themselves getting beaten up for doing good. And so you're on, you're on track, you're doing good, you're helping, you're being a blessing, and then there's all this resistance that comes against you. But if you, if you are clear about your mission and you, you know why you're doing what you're doing, you can stand solid in that, right? And you're not going to be moved left or right no matter what comes at you, all right? So I've been thinking about that this week. And I started to take what the Lord said to me when He called me, and I kind of broke it down and, and went over it again. And I want to share some of that with you. And then I want to talk to you about your mission. I want to talk to you about what it is that God has for you. How to discover it, how to know it, and how to walk in it. Right? How many of you want to know what God has for you? How many of you want to walk in the will of God, in the favor of God? Well, that's really, that's all I talk about. It's what I do all the time. It's what I'm constantly talking about. I'm sharing different aspects of how to do it. Right? And so I want to bring some clarity to that. 
And I want to start with sharing, you know, what my assignment is so that you understand who I am and why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? I, I didn't wake up one day and decide that I want to be a minister. Well, maybe I did. One day I woke up and then realized that's what God had for me. But it wasn't on my radar, amen? And, but it was on God's radar. And it's something that I discovered. Let's start with Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So dear brothers and sisters, that's you. I plead with you, I beg you, to give your bodies to God because all He has done for you. Has God done some great things for you? What does He require of you? Give Him your body. Touch the person next to you and say, He wants your body. It's like some of you when you got married. Just moving right along. But He wants them to be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Who wants to know how to worship God? Come on, Brandon. You know I'm telling the truth, brother. This is how you worship Him. Don't copy, say don't copy, the behavior and the customs of the world. So that's step number one. Look at somebody and say, if you want to be acceptable to God, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. Firstly, then it says, let God transform you. Say transform. How's he going to do it? He's going to make you a new person by changing the way that you think. What does it say next? Then, say, when I change the way I think, when I give God my body, when I don't copy the customs and the behaviors of the world, I am going to discover, I will learn to know God's will for me. What kind of will is it? It's good. Say, it's good. It's pleasing to God, and it's perfect. And so, first thing I want to say to you today is that God invites you to discover what He has for you. The doors are not closed. God is not saying it is hidden, it is secret. You'll never get it. Never going to get it, never going to get it. It's not what He's saying. He hasn't hidden it from you. He's hidden it for you. He's keeping it hidden in a place for you to come and find and discover. But it's going to require you going on a journey. you got to decide that you want to know God's will for your life. You have to make the decision that you're going to make some changes because it comes at a price. Who knows that story? Um, it just pops in my head. I don't have the exact scripture. But the Bible says... Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. It was like a man who found a treasure. He buried it again. Then he went and sold everything that he had just so that he could buy that one piece of property to get the treasure. You have to be willing to give up everything else in your life and do whatever it takes, no matter what it costs, to find the treasure that God has specifically for you. So it comes with a price. It doesn't just get handed to you. And the price isn't money. The price is your heart, and it is your life, and it is about you making a commitment to God, and that you're not going to have one foot in and one foot out. 
You're not going to be double-minded and unstable in your ways. You're not going to be a friend of the world and try and be a friend of God. You're making a decision that I'm wholeheartedly giving my life to God, and I'm going to pursue Him, and I'm going to seek Him to discover and know what it is that He has for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12. If you'll throw those scriptures up there for me. You know, I thought about it today. I said, you know, I can do this. I can preach this message in two ways. Way number one, I can give you point number one, point number two, point number three, and then close with a poem. Or I can just let this flow out of me, and then we'll discover where we end up. Can you say amen? I think the second version is a little more exciting. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know, say I know, the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. So God knows exactly the plan He has for you. He's not trying to, he's like, I don't know what I got for, for him. I don't know what I got. I got to figure it out still. No, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of what? Good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Go to 12. How do you tap the plan? In those days when you pray, I will listen. Look at the person next to you. Say, you're not going to tap into the plan if you're not praying, if you're not calling out to God. Next verse, 13. If, say if. So there's conditions to this thing. It doesn't just get handed to you. If you do what? Look, search for me. What? Wholeheartedly. Say wholeheartedly. You will find me. So if you'll ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. You got to look for this thing like it's hidden treasure. You got to look for it like it's a precious coin that you've lost. You got to press in to seek to know the will that God has for your life. But it's going to take a wholehearted commitment. Can you say amen? So, you know, the way that I think about it is like if if you're looking for a woman in your life, like every man should. Because the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Single men? Say it's not good for man to be alone. So, you know, God needs to hook you up with a woman, guys. And when you find this woman, you find favor from God. Who wants some favor from the Lord? Well, you got to go find your woman. Lady, the Bible doesn't say go find your man. be begging and groveling. Uh-uh. No, boy, you're going to look for me. You're going to want me. You're going to seek me. You're going to hunt for me. You're going to treat me right. And if you do it right, then maybe I'll give you my heart. This is the fun part of the message that I didn't come up with before the service. So when I'm looking for this woman, you know, we don't need some gold digger. You know, you're not looking for a sugar daddy. We're not looking for no one-night stand. No one-night stands here. We're not even part-time lovers. My part-time lover. You know, we're not even looking to be engaged. Like, I need some time to decide if I want to be with you. 
No, we are looking for a marriage. We are looking for a commitment. I want to give you my whole heart. I'm not giving you just a part of my heart. I'm giving you all of my heart. I am making a covenant commitment to be with you for the rest of my life. You are the only one I want. You are my heart's desire. You are the one that I've wanted and I've found, and I'm going to grab hold of it with everything that I've got, and I'm not giving up, and I'm not letting go. Woo-wee! I know, right? I'll throw in a little tip right here. Malachi says, men, if you don't treat her right, God won't hear or answer your prayers. If you don't treat her right, God stops listening to you. Get it fixed quickly. Work it out, whatever you got to do, man. Because when God stops listening and you get into trouble, you are in big doo-doo, Jaja. You've got a mountain of trouble coming your way. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible says that God witnessed the covenant vows you made on your wedding day. Anyway, we're not talking about that right now. Thank you, Jesus. So, you know, I'm not looking for a prostitute either. And you know, God, God is the same way. Jesus is looking for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He's looking for somebody that's got a full commitment to Him. So that he can share his secrets and share his kingdom. I'm not going to share my secrets with someone I'm not intimate with. I'm not going to share my secrets with somebody that I know's heart isn't for me. And so if you want to tap into what God has for you, there has to be a solid commitment here. Now, if you want to be Satan's prostitute, go ahead. He's going to do his dirty deeds through you. He's going to use your body to satisfy his needs, and you'll get some temporary pleasure, but you will feel dirty and ashamed after every deed you've done. And then, as a pimp, he's going to sit there, and he's going to shout at you and condemn you and tear you down, tell you how worthless you are, tear down your self-image. He's going to tear down your self-confidence. And he's going to tear down your self-worth so that you become a slave to sin and you just serve him and everything that he wants to do through you. But I want you to know Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, wants to set you free from captivity, break you out of the chains of you serving Satan, using your temple to do things you should not be doing. And He wants to clean you up. He wants to fix your heart. He wants to love you. He wants to purify you. And He wants to show you the things He has for you so you can birth things for Christ in the earth. As a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. I want to have your babies. Are we having fun yet? Go to the book of Matthew. Isn't this better than three points in a poem? Um, yeah, we'll do Matthew first. Matthew, here Jesus is telling us how to find it. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, he says, When you pray, because prayer is connecting with God, communicating with God, talking to God. He says, When you pray, don't be like hypocrites, 
who pray publicly on the streets, in the synagogues, where everyone can see him. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they're going to get. But go and pray. Be away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. He says, don't babble. Blah, blah, blah. Babbling is just saying stuff that has no meaning. Stuff that you've parroted or what you're repeating that you heard me pray. Well, he prayed it, so I should pray it. No, it has to come from your heart. It has to be genuine. It has to be real. It says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. See, he already knows the plans that he has for you. He already knows how to break you out of the situation you're in. He knows what you need. It says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first step is you want to begin to ask God, God, what is your will for me? In your prayer, what is your will? What is your way? Show me, God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the bride of Christ does. The bride of Christ is ready to receive the word. Look at somebody and say, the bride of Christ is ready to receive the seed. The word of God is seed. God communicates His will through His words. Luke chapter 4 verse 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The reason Jesus died was so you could have a relationship with God. What is a relationship? It's the way that you connect to God. The way that we are connected to God is through the blood of Jesus. We have a bloodline. We're part of the family of God. Say, so that's my connection. Not only do we have a bloodline, but we're also married. We have a covenant with Christ. That's our connection. The covenant has got an inheritance for us, and it's full of the goodness of God. And you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There is nothing that God is holding back from you. He's already got it all set up waiting for you to tap into it. But if you never come to Him and say, God, what is your will? We come to God in our prayer time. God, I got a problem with so-and-so. I got this problem. I got that problem. Jesus. Ah! And then you walk out of prayer. Prayer is about you having a stomping ground to get all your frustrations out, but you never took a minute to sit and listen to what God has. So He's just there to meet my needs, to vent my frustrations. And that's as deep as the relationship goes. But He's looking for commitment, a wholehearted commitment, so that you can tap in to hear what's in His heart. You can grab hold of the secrets that you can come to know the will of God. Ephesians, go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. Say, God has got some works for me to do. How many of you would like to be a servant of the Lord? It says, for we are God's masterpiece. 
He created us brand new or anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Say, God has got some good things for me that he planned for me to do in Christ Jesus. He didn't just come up with it. He planned it long ago. Go to Psalm 139. Say, the reason I've been created anew is so that I can do the good works that God has prepared for me. Psalm 139, verse 13, 13 through 15. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're with me. So here we can clearly see that before we even took our first breath, before we even came out the womb, God already had stuff recorded in a book for us to do before we even made it onto the planet. You're not an afterthought. You're not a mistake. You, you are created with divine purpose, and you are in divine time. Can you say amen? You were created for this hour, for this moment. You have been chosen to be here right now, and God has got things that He has for you. But you've got to tap into it. So I'm going to tap into it. So I'll share a couple of stories. When, when I first surrendered my life to Jesus, I was coming out of the club world. And I lost everything. Lost the money, lost the fiancé, lost the friends, lost the dream. Just barely escaped with my life. My life came crashing down. I said to the Lord on my 23rd birthday, was the day that I decided I'd be a millionaire. Well, I missed it really, really by far. I was nothing in there. I lost everything. It was nothing there. And so I was just living for money. That was my only purpose. So why did I want money? To prove to my dad that I didn't need him. Wrong motive. Say so your motives count. Say so pride comes. Yeah, before you hit your face in the dirt. And that's when you grovel. That's when you realize, ah, in your own strength, you can do nothing. So I had that moment in my life. Thank God. I came to that place where I surrendered. I fully surrendered. And this was the prayer I prayed. It wasn't pretty, but it was real. I said, God, I screwed my life up. Here I am. If you can do anything with me, I give you my life. Take it. Amen. But it came from a real place. It was a genuine prayer. And so I had to go home and I had to help, have my parents help me get my life restored. That was humbling. I had to humble myself. And I made a decision that I'm going to put God first. So I started going to church. I started seeking God. Started reading my Bible. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When I was 16 years old, I had an encounter. God touched me. I knew He was real. I didn't want tradition. I didn't want religion. 
I wanted Jesus. I wanted to have a relationship with God. I wanted to know my purpose. I wanted to know why I was here. And I decided to live for God. Press in with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. That was the journey that I stepped into. It wasn't just words at an altar. No, it was on my 23rd birthday, cutting my birthday cake, making a commitment that the next 23 years of my life will not be like the first 23. And so I started this journey, pressing in, seeking the Lord. And the first year really was just about my health getting restored, coming out of the fog, just getting stability in my life, eating correctly, getting rest, being restored physically. Because when you're out six nights a week in the club, partying, drinking, doing drugs, that, that pays a toll on your life after five, six years. And so it took a year just for me to get my bearings right, just to, just to recover from the shock and everything that I'd been in. And, you know, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to use the bitter things in your life to drive you to destruction. And so the second year, what happened was I got baptized in water. See, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, but then you have to separate yourself from everything else that was pulling you in the wrong direction. You have to turn your back on that lifestyle. You have to turn your back on those friends. You have to turn your back on everything you were doing, the clothing, the music, the pictures, the memories. And so I decided I'm, I am going to die with Christ. I'm going to get baptized in water. I'm going to identify with Christ Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection. My old life is over. Everything from that old life, the girlfriends, the parties, the fun, the memories, everything. I'm going to burn it. It's going in the trash. I'm never going back there. I am going a brand new way. It's a brand new day. And with God, I'm going to discover what He has for me in the future. I'm putting everything else behind me and I'm pressing forward for the mark and the high calling of God. And that's what I began to do. I got baptized in water. But people get baptized in water, but they're not willing to nail the passions and the desires of their flesh to the cross. Oh, dunk me. Everybody's doing it. You know, we can lay hands on you. You can fall down on the ground. I get knocked down. But nothing changes in your life. So you can get baptized. You can get sprinkled. You can get anointing oil by the gallon. But you, have, you can get in the prayer line every single week. But you have to come to the place of decision. Because nothing changes until you decide. And I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You can sing all the songs and live like a devil. So it has to be more than lip service. There has to be evidence. There has to be demonstration that my life is really changing in the natural, which comes from an inward conviction. And so I got baptized in water, and the next thing, my brother invited me to move down to Cape Town. I moved down to Cape Town, and he took me to his church, which was the church I got saved in when I was 16 years old. It was a sister church down in Cape Town. And so the first week I went to the church, I was one of 12 white people in that church, out of a church of like 1,200 people. But God knows what He's doing. Can you say amen? 
He didn't put me in some high-class, cool church. He put me in a church near Stienberg. And if you know Stienberg, it's all the murders, the crimes, uh, the rapes, is stealing gangs. It's a wild place. He put me in the heart of crazy. And so the first Sunday that I went to this church, there was an evangelist from South Africa, uh, Mark Bredenkamp. He was there ministering. He had long hair, and he had like a holes in his shirt. And he had like, he's just up there like, rah, rah, and he's like, like uh, screamo bands, like, rah. That's how he was preaching. I'm like, what is this? This is wild. And the next thing he's talking, I don't even know what he's talking about, but he's just like, rah, in the microphone. And demons begin to manifest in the church. This guy sitting in front of me is like, and he comes flying over the chair and he's like vibrating on the ground. Two girls in the back of the church get up and start fist fighting, punching each other in the face. People on the other side of the church are like writhing on the ground. And he's casting devils out of people. And I'm like, what am I getting involved in? Here we have like pretty church. Hallelujah. You look so wonderful today. So I really got connected with the pastor and with his family. And when I looked at their lives, I saw a model of family that I desired for myself. And I connected with them, and they invited me into their home, and I became close, and I began to serve them and their family. And I actually learned a lot from their family lifestyle a picture that I didn't see in, in my family growing up. Another thing, I grew up in South Africa. So you grew up in South Africa during apartheid, but in the time of segregation, white people lived in a certain place, black people lived in a certain place, colored people lived in a certain place, uh, Jews lived in a certain place, the Arabs lived in, uh, the Portuguese. Everybody was separated and segregated into their cultures and their classes. And God put me in that church to break a prejudiced mindset out of me. That's why when you look around this church, we're not one color. We're every tongue, we're every nation, we're every tribe, we're every creed. Because there's nothing in my heart or my wife's heart that is separating us by skin tone. You see, these are important things that you learn on the journey. This is some of the stuff God has to break out of you while you're on the way to discovering what He has for you. He's going to go into your character, and He's going to look at the flaws in there, and then He's going to put you in fiery tests to break things out of you, to show you exactly where your heart is and the things that need to change. And if you get mad at the pastor, and you get mad at the place, and you run, you're just running from your breakthrough. And if you don't get that breakthrough, you're going to go to another church down the road. And guess what? You're going to face the same thing over and over again. You're going to go around that mountain again and again until you break through. You're not going to get it until you pass the test. You will die in the wilderness before you enter your promised land. So you better embrace the cross. You better embrace the tests. You better get your heart clean and allow God to do that work. Then the Lord began to talk to me about giving. The Lord spoke to me. And while the pastor was reading Solomon one day, how when he became king, he was young. He didn't know what he was doing. And so 
he went and burnt, he gave a thousand burnt offerings on the altar to God. And that night, God visited him in a dream and said, Solomon, what is it that you want from me? When the pastor read that passage of scripture, faith substance dropped into my heart that if Solomon gave a thousand and I give a thousand, I'm going to have an encounter with God. That was the first time that I really felt God tell me to do something. And it came as such a strong knowing on the inside of me. And it sparked a desire because I was hungry. And so I was working for my brother. He invited me to stay down there and work. He had a company. And so he said, for the first three months, I'm going to train you. And at the end of the three months, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. And I said, yes, this is what I need. Because the minute I get that thousand dollars, I'm going to go put it in the church offering. And I'm going to have my encounter with God. So for three months, I got up and I went to work. And I, all I had in my heart was, I can't wait to get that money in my hand. I'm going to go give it to God and I'm having an encounter with God. I believed it in my heart. I began to say it with my mouth. I began to expect it. I began to expect God was coming to visit me. And so when that day came, it was a Thursday afternoon. I took my check and I went to the church. 4.55 p.m. before they closed, I arrived and I dropped my offering. Let me tell you something. That opened a season of encounters with God for seven or eight months where tangibly I felt heaven on earth. And the Holy Ghost began to teach me and train me and show me things that man cannot teach you and train you. God began to show me things that were specific to my life and to my call. The first time, God began to teach me about visions, how they worked. What would happen is I'd just be standing somewhere, and suddenly I would have a flash of fire. I would see it on the inside of me, in my spirit, here in my belly. I would see fire, like a flash. Then I would feel heat go up my chest, and then suddenly I'd see a picture on my mind, and I would know things that I didn't know before. And that's how God began to show me how he speaks to me. It wasn't long after that, my brother had a guy that was doing the kitchen, were redoing his kitchen. And so I was praying upstairs. I was walking down the stairs. I went out. I was cleaning the dashboard of my car, cleaning my car, whatever. And as I'm cleaning the dashboard of the car, in the screen, in my, in my, in my windshield, I see a movie, like right here, playing in front of me. And I see a truck going over a hill, and then there's a car coming on the other side, and I see the truck going into the bushes, and this major accident, and I know two things. One, the guy who's doing my brother's kitchen, he had a brother that died in a car accident, and he had a son that had a head-on collision but didn't die and survived. That's what I know. The guy's a Muslim guy in my brother's kitchen, I'm a Christian, and now I know i got to go talk to him and tell him what God showed me. Do you even begin to understand the fear? Like, dude, you're tripping. You're having a flashback from some of the ecstasy that you took five years ago. This is, this is a bad moment. Okay, you're just, on, you're just you're having some bad moment here. There's no way that you can know personal details about that guy's life. And so I wrestled. I mean, I struggled with fear all day long. Like, how do you even begin that conversation with somebody? Right? So 
five o'clock, he's packing his tools up and everything. The last day, he's finished. I'm like, if I don't tell him now, I'm never going to tell this guy. It's now or never. So I muster up the courage. I mean, I would walk in the house. I'd walk into the kitchen. I'd say, hey, Nazim, good to see you, bro. And then I would walk right out. Then I walk in the kitchen and I see him and then I just walk upstairs and then I get on my knees, help me Jesus. And so eventually five o'clock rolls around. I'm like, I got to go tell this guy. So I walk into the kitchen. I look at him. I said, look, Nazim, I don't, I don't even understand this, but I'm just going to tell you what I know. And I said to him, I was outside cleaning my car and God, God showed me that you have a brother that died in a car accident and that your son was almost in a head on collision and died. And he his eyes got bigger and bigger as I'm telling him the story, and he just begins to cry. And when I get done with the story, he looks at me, and he says to me, a couple of years ago, my brother died in a head-on collision, and last night, my son was driving home, and he overtook on a hill, and he went into the bushes. And so I was able to minister to this guy, to let him know there's a God who sees. There's a God who's not just, he's a real God that answers prayer, that knows his life. And I began to prophesy to him. Just pro- How? How does this work? It all came from what God showed me in the seed, in the word, and me stepping out to do what God showed me in fear and trembling. I step out to tell him the story, and now this stuff begins to flow out of me. And so I said to him, you're a giver, aren't you? He says, yes, I am a giver. I love giving. He says, and you're a devoted man of prayer, aren't you? He said, yes. I said, your prayers and your giving to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. And God sees you and God knows you. And he didn't give his life to Jesus that day, but I obeyed what God told me to do. And that man went away knowing that there's a God who sees, who knows, and who cares. Can you say amen? amen? I'll tell you another story. Why am I telling you this stuff? I'm telling you my personal journey in how God began to teach me things, began to show me things about the gifting that I have and about the call that He has for my life. I could go on for days. I promise you, I could go on for days. But we're not going to do two services today. We're just going to do one. Can you say amen? So I'll tell you one more story. I'm driving down in Cape Town by the, the, the V&A waterfront. It's like this huge mall on the water. And right next to it, there's parking spaces where people leave work at lunchtime. They go park in front of the, the water, the ocean, and they sit in their cars and they have sandwiches and whatever, and they go back to work. So I'm driving down this road, and I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, here I am. I said, why don't you use me? What is wrong with me? Am I chopped liver or something? You'll use so-and-so, and you use so-and-so. Well, I'm available, God, right now. What do you have for me? What do you want me to do, God? And I'm just in the car, raging with God. God, are you deaf? Here I am. Use me. The next thing I hear, the audible voice of God. He says, turn the car around. Now I'm scared. Uh, I'm crying out to God, shouting at God, here I am. And he says, turn the car around. And so I said, yes, God heard me. God is going to use me. Turn the car around. 
Then the, as I'm driving by this place where all these people are sitting, I hear the Lord say, turn into the parking lot. And then I realize I'm going to have to talk to people. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I kept driving. So I just kept going. Then the Lord shouted at me. I said, turn the car around and go in the parking lot. Now the fear of God hits me. So I turn the car around now, like a parent scolding a child, right? I pull into the parking lot, and I park there, and I'm waiting for instructions. The Lord says, get out of the car. So now I've got a suit on. I've got a tie on, a jacket. I've got my smart shoes on, um, my dress shoes on, right? They're smart, right? There's gravel. This is not a place for me to get out and walk around. Get out. So I'm concerned about my appearance. Suddenly, I'm thinking everybody in their cars is staring at me. Anybody ever have one of those moments where you think everybody's looking at you? You're so self-conscious and so self-aware that everyone around you is staring at you. So I had to pretend like I had a a busy day and that I was there getting out of my car because nobody gets out of their car and I was stretching. I'm stretching, and I'm like, oh, and I'm taking my tie down. I'm putting this whole show on because I think everybody's watching me. So stupid. So anyway, they were eating their sandwich and watching the ocean and watching the seagulls. They didn't care that I would. They didn't even know I'd parked there, right? So then I'm standing there, and I see this cliff, like this steep hill going down to the beach. And there's rocks. It's just rocks and stuff. And then there's just grass and pebbles. And it's ugly. And the Lord says, walk down there. So I'm like with my smart shoes climbing down the rocks, getting down to the bottom. And I'm just walking down. And the Lord says, look to your right. And I look to my right and I see a man lying in the grass. The homeless man just lying hidden in the grass. He said, go in there and tell him about me. And now I'm thinking, well, nobody knows that I'm here, right? This guy could have a knife, a gun. He could kill me. He, he, they would never find me here. So now I'm fearing for my life, thinking about what this guy could do to me. You see, when God tells you to do something, there's, you can make up all these excuses. All these things come at you where you fear for your life that you're not ready to do what God tells you to do. Because it's going to cost you something. Can you say amen? And if, you, if you're afraid, you'll never do anything for God. And so I paced around a little bit. I decided I'm going in there. I walked through the bushes. I got down, sat with a guy, introduced myself to him. I said, I was driving down the road, and the Lord spoke to me, and he told me to come here and tell you about him. Prayed with him. He gave his life to God. Gave him the money that I had. I got out of there, and I left. Right? One more story? Okay. So this was my training days, right? So one morning I woke up. I was praying. And as I walked through my my bedroom door, from my bedroom into the hallway, I felt the presence of God come on me. I was like, oh, nice. I went down the stairs. I didn't know what it was. I got into the car. I'm driving down, going to see a customer. And... I'm driving down the road, and I see two kids in school uniform walking to school. And I hear the voice of God. As I'm getting close to them, I hear the voice of God say, pull over and pick them up. 
So I didn't even think about it. There was no fear. There was no worry. There was no concern. I pulled my vehicle over, pulled on the side of the road. And you know, you got, we didn't have automatic windows. You stretch over the car and almost rip your muscles, right? You roll the window down over there. You're like, hey, you guys want to ride? And they say, yeah, yeah, cool. So they jump into the back of the vehicle. Hop into the back of the vehicle. And I'm driving down the road. I say, where are you guys going? No, we're going to the school down the road. Cool. It was just like two-minute drive. It wasn't even very far. So we're driving down the road. And I hear the voice of God say to me, tell him about me. So I'm driving down. And I look backwards. And I say, hey, do you guys know Jesus? That's all I said. I'm not lying to you. A cloud of the presence of God fills the car, and the two guys in the backseat of my car start crying uncontrollably, hit by the power of God. So these guys are weeping, shaking uncontrollably in the backseat of my car, and I told them, Jesus loves you. Pray this prayer with me. There was no, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. This is by the Spirit. The Lord of the harvest directing you to specific people with specific words to tell them things that their hearts are the only ones that know it. To declare that he is God and that he knows them and that he's alive. So, man, it's exciting stuff like the power of God. These people crying in the backseat of my car, leading them to Jesus. Get to the school. They open the door. They jump out. I say, cheers, guys. They're like, wait, wait. What do we need to do? What? What happened? I'm like, just find a church, go with God, bye. (laughs) Assignment over. You see, you only do what God tells you to do. That's the only part you're responsible for, right? I didn't say, well, I'm going to come pick you up on Tuesday night and take you to church with me. No, that's not what God told me to do. Without Him, you can do nothing. Can you say amen? And I don't want to do more than He tells me to do. I don't want to do less than He tells me to do. I want to be a bride that is committed to Him, to know His heart, to be a servant, to be ready to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. That began the journey of where we are today. And I can tell you hundreds of stories how we got here. Because everything we did, we did that way. I heard God, and we stepped. I heard God, and we stepped. I heard God, and we stepped. And that's the only way we do stuff. Can you say amen? I'm just so glad to be a part of your family. No matter what you're going through, I got you and you got me.